You're listening to The New Leaf Project, sharing stories from instigators, innovators, planters and starters from across Canada. Hello, my name is Jared. And my name is Elle. And you're listening to The New Leaf Project. Now today, we have an interesting episode. We're talking to another podcaster, Elle. You, uh, you went to Toronto and you visited Mark Grolo. So tell me a little bit about why you went to go visit Mark Grolo. He, what was the podcast that he did? Wiki God. That's a good name. I like that. I like too. Uh, yeah, I got to spend some time with Mark and it was, I know him as a podcaster. That's my first introduction to him was through um, his podcast and he was highlighting the stories of, he was wikiing God. So if you're, you know, familiar with Wikipedia, uh, he was doing a wiki God essentially and connecting with people in Toronto and really kind of having this experiment for two years through his podcast. And it was kind of coinciding with church planting. He thought that he would perhaps end up planting a church out of this community that um, was created around his podcast. So we got to have some really interesting conversations as he shared his story and shared a few things that I didn't I didn't know about his conversion story, how he came to faith or subsequently how he lost it for a while. So it, yeah. was, uh, it yeah. was really great to hear that story. I had never heard it before. And uh, it was really nice to connect with someone who's really on a journey. He, that's, you know, overall his story, I would say he's on a really interesting journey and it was really nice to connect with him. Yeah, I think this is going to probably be a multi-part episode for us. And I, I, I actually met Mark, um, and I actually, this is the first time I'd heard that story. Um, I'd met Mark uh, at one of the events that he actually mentions in his story uh, at a vital church planning conference in Toronto. That's put on by the Anglican Church, and they bring in great speakers. Uh, um, I was one of the presenters at, at that uh, particular episode, though apparently none of none of the things that I did made an impact, but, uh, uh, it was just nice for you to be there. Just nice for you to be there. (laughs) (laughs) But that's where I met Mark the first time. And I really like him. I like hanging out with him. I like talking with him. And, uh, what's really interesting is this isn't, I hadn't heard this story. Like we've never talked about it. So that's why I love the, the podcast medium is I get to find things out about people. I don't, I don't even know, but Mark, uh, grew up in a fundamentalist uh, home. So if you don't know what fundamentalism is, that is a particularly conservative version of of Christianity. Uh, some would say it's very different than evangelicalism, and I would certainly uh, be sympathetic to that argument. Um, but some people put it inside of evangelicalism as well. Mm. But this particular kind of fundamentalist uh, Pentecostal church, it, it it really wasn't particularly orthodox. And so I wouldn't necessarily say this is probably an evangelical church. Correct. People can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I, I don't think it is. But anyway, Mark grow, grew up in this uh, fundamentalist uh, tradition. Uh, and as it turns out, I don't want to spoil things, but things definitely changed for him in his spirituality. Mm-hmm. He spent a certain amount of time of of his young adult life as an atheist. Um, and so that is the most extreme version of what we call a dun in, in the Canadian context. Mm-hmm. So that's someone who started out in church uh, and... Um, left the church. Now, a lot of people who are duns leave the church, but they don't leave faith. Uh, and that's a, a specific kind of category. But uh, Mark uh, left the church and left the faith. Mm-hmm. And 
And I think that's really interesting because a lot of the church planting that I see happening right now in the Canadian context is actually for the Duns. It's for people who have uh, are are in the process of leaving the church and mm-hmm. potentially even their faith. And so a lot of, that's what's so interesting. And 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 part of what we want to talk about in the New Leaf Network is uh, is to get better at doing ministry mm-hmm. among people who are. You know, the disaffected sons and daughters of fundamentalism, the disaffected sons and daughters of of evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. Um, But they are a fundamentally different category than the nons. The nons are people who have no religious affiliation and probably grew up that way. But duns are a specific group of people that um, uh, uh, have lost their faith. And and I love Mark's story. I think he did a great job of telling it. and uh, I'm excited to, to to give it a listen. So let's uh, let's give it a listen together. Uh, Proudy L, this is a great episode. Did a great job. And uh, so here's Mark Grollo talking about this uh, this his transformation of his faith. Hi, New Leaf friends. We've got a great episode for you today. We've got Mark Grolo hanging out with us. He is an ordained minister, a church planter, a podcaster extraordinaire. Anything else exciting that you are that I didn't mention? Uh, I, I could name a lot of things. It's just it depends on what, what relevance. For a, a kind of an amateur woodworker. Uh, like a wood whittler? Are you a wood, wood whittler? No, no, I don't whittle. I, I have like large saws and things in my garage. Wow. I built a little free library. It's on the end of my, oh. the end of my lawn. Wow, yeah, you're so a man of many I, I talents. I just got into that in the last couple of years. That's but, pretty uh, exciting. Yeah, that's really exciting. I might branch out to whittling now that you've put the I, idea in my head. I feel like that's a really nice thing to have on the end of your title, <laughs> Mark Grollo, Wood Whittler. Well. <laughs> Well, Mark's with us today. We've got so much we could talk about. Um, but why don't we just start off at the beginning, Mark, for those who don't know you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about your your faith journey, which I know could be a long conversation. Yeah. But. Yeah, I, I told the story in a few churches this summer. There's like the 45-minute version to the churches that are conducive to that length. There's there's the, the shorter 20-minute. We, we're going to go for like a few minutes. All right. Um, so just hit the highlights, I guess. Um I grew up, I started going to church when I was uh, three years old. And, uh, you know, when you're that age, you don't know what you're getting into. But uh, within a few years, I always like to tell, start the story by talking about when I was young, I would lay in bed at night when I'm seven or eight years old. And uh, I'd lay there, my parents would say goodnight and turn out the light. And then uh, the house would get really quiet and I would be terrified so I would say, good night, Dad, and he'd say good night, and then I'd lay there for a little longer, and I'd say good night, Mom, and she would say good night and lay there for a little longer, and this would go on until they were like, go to sleep, they'd be mad, but but that was okay with me that they were mad because at least I knew they were there. I didn't right. mind them being mad, and I like to ask people, what do you think I was afraid of, you know, when I, when I tell this in groups or whatever, and they say, well, being alone, being abandoned, uh, that somebody died, uh, and uh, almost no one ever says what I was actually afraid of at the age of eight, nine. I was terrified that I missed the rapture. And I, and I like to tell that story because it really encapsulates this anxiety that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. This horrible fear of God. That God is going... For those of you who don't know about the rapture, um, well, 
It's fun learning. I mean, you can yeah. check it out. It's good times. <laughs> yeah, but, the, but in in my church, as as the rapture was taught, the good the good people, God's goodies, disappear. Um, the kind of whole left behind thing. Their clothes maybe just drop in a pile, exactly where they were standing, and they're gone. And uh, the rest of the world is just left to sort it out. So you've got orphans, you've got pilotless airplanes, you've got things crashing. That was my big fear, was being on a plane when the rapture happened. Okay, so you too. Great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, and not to go into too much detail, but that 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 really creates a picture of a of a child who is terrified of God. And the reason why I was I knew to be terrified is because I was in a very fundamentalist Pentecostal uh, denomination where if you didn't speak in tongues, you were going to hell. So I knew I hadn't done that. It's very clear. It's not like I'm a good person. I'm trying. I believe in Jesus. If you haven't like done the tongues thing at the altar with everybody seeing you, you're just not saved and you're going to hell. And it was like very black and white. So um, I, I, until I spoke in tongues <laughs> when I was about 12, uh, I was terrified. And then you, after you do kind of the speaking in tongues and baptism thing, you kind of spend your life uh, trying to live by the rules very morally because there's still that, you know, if you say a cuss word on the playground and, and Jesus comes back in that the next second, right. you're, you're, you're SOL again. Right. So, uh, so this was my whole upbringing. So that was your whole beginning kind of forte yeah. into faith. Oh yeah. Yeah. God is scary. Uh, and we have to really toe the line. Don't smoke or drink or chew or go with girls who do that mm-hmm, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, and 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 I so this continued on. I, I was the Bible quizzer, like being kind of groomed to be the preacher boy. And I spoke in church and everything. Uh, we loved the Old Testament. We didn't really have much use for Jesus's teachings and the Gospels because that that there's a lot of gray in there with the Jesus stuff. Uh, the rules are way easier to follow sure like just it's it's easy to follow a rule give me in the old testament give me 613 of them but at least i know if i'm in or i'm out uh but kind of my testimony quote unquote came at a youth convention in my late teens this pentecostal youth convention went down to the altar you know at, like you do it was a big ontario thing and i was praying at this altar and um and i heard a voice say tithe your time and I, uh, I actually kind of stopped praying, opened my eyes, looked around. It was so clear. It was almost like somebody said it, but wow. nobody was there. So I did the math after the, you know, the, okay, God wants me to tithe my time. Just spend spend 10% of my day. Oh, crap. That's like two and a half hours when I did the math of a 24-hour day. Right. <laughs> but, you know, you're charged up when you get, get home from one of these youth conventions. And so I, uh, for two and a half hours, starting the Monday I got back, I would eat dinner and go downstairs uh, with my Bible, I call it my the Bible and the blanket period because it was cold down there, unfinished basement. I'd bring my Bible, I'd bring a blanket, and from like seven to nine thirty, my parents were just like, "What has gotten into this kid?" Um, we were a very fundamentalist church. All of us go to church, etc. But in that period, um, I essentially backslid uh, because of the voice of God. <laughs> I started to read the scriptures and see. Uh, a Jesus of compassion. Uh, I started to see the Trinity, for example. We were mm. a, a non-Trinitarian sect. Uh, so Paul is saying Father, Son, and Spirit. So I started to take these questions to my 
pastor uh, and ask, why am I, like, why don't we speak like they're speaking? Or right. What, why is Paul saying here, don't, it's not about the rules. Like, there's actual verses that say that. Hmm. Um, and uh, I was just told to stop asking the questions. And ah. so I'm in university, first year university. I'm studying Shakespeare and Chaucer. And I'm learning literary criticism, historical criticism, all those kind of tools you learn when you're reading text. But I'm not supposed to bring those to bear on the Bible. I'm just supposed to read it, trust what they say about it, ignore right. my questions. And I tried, but I was, I was really bad at it. And just one Sunday, I went downstairs in my pajamas. The whole family was in their suits and ties at the door. And I just said, I, I can't go back. And... Uh, that was devastating. I lost all my friends. It was kind of instant, immediate excommunication. Wow. That was my whole world. I had gone to church school. I was going to university, but you don't associate with the pagans in university. Right. You come back to the safety of the church, and that's right. your friends, the youth group. And, and it, I, it was gone. Everything was gone. And so I'm 21 years old. And because I had been raised my whole life in, in uh, learning why all the other churches were wrong, were heretical, were teaching false doctrines... It's not like I could then say, well, okay, I saw that I saw shades of the Trinity. I saw it, but I still thought it was a heap of BS mm -hmm. because of all the ways that we were trained to kind of do theological jujitsu on a Trinitarian when we met them. Uh, so it's not like I just said, well, let me go check what the Wesleyans are doing. I said, it's all, it's all crap. It must be all lies. Right. So that kind of punted me into atheism, kind of a two-year atheistic period. I went to Korea and... Uh, said, I'm done with the whole thing. I was teaching English. And there was a Nazarene pastor in the town that I was in, to make a very long story short, young guy in his 30s. Uh, and he started to befriend the expat teacher community. He, he taught a little English congregation. He was the pastor. He was a teacher himself of English. Um, but there were a lot of expats who were Christians and wanted to go to church. And he was uh, in there in the pubs till really late at night, drinking beer. He'd come to the pool halls where there were, you know, pictures of topless women all over the walls. And that annoyed me at first because I thought, this guy's being a hypocrite. I know Christianity. I know what a Christian is supposed to do and not do. And they're not supposed to be here. That's right. So right. this guy is trying to have the best of both worlds. He's trying to have fun with us uh, and be a, a pastor or a righteous Christian. And uh, what a disgusting person. But he hung around, became my friend, wanted to have coffee. I said, sure. We went out. I told him all the reasons why what he believed and what he was about was just crap. And he very patiently heard me. For example, the Trinity, that was my favorite go-to. But then he gave me, he said, I want you to read this book. It's by St. Athanasius. It's a little dense. It's, you know, translated from the Greek from 300 AD. But uh, maybe you can, you know, read it. And I did in like three days. And then I was like, okay, okay, I'm on, okay, I'm on board with the Trinity. Fine. Um, but what about, you know, I said, ultimately, as we became friends, I said, I could never be a Christian because Christians, I, I loved not, I love not being a Christian because I can love culture. I can love people. I can, right. I don't have to walk around judging every Buddhist temple I see. You felt every, that to be a Christian at that time was to be very judgmental and absolutely. connected off from the rest yeah, of the world. Yeah, you, because you're, you're a moral person and you mm -hmm. look at things that are not moral don't match up with your own morals. And you say, it's bad. It's Sometimes it's demonic. Sometimes it's worse than bad. It's diabolical. And I said, I love not having to live like that. I love being able to be a citizen of the world, be inquisitive, love people. 
Um, and then he gave me Brian McLaren's book, The Secret Message of Jesus. And that book was the first time I had ever seen the kingdom of God as a, as a present reality happening here and now. Wow. A project that God is doing in the world. Because in my church, every time we read the kingdom of God, we were taught to read heaven after you die. Right. So like, just try that as an exercise. Open your New Testament. And every time you see the kingdom of God is like, it was always like heaven? <laughs> like when I look back at it now, I'm like, it doesn't even really make sense. But that's how we were taught. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And so in heaven, you'll have this. Um, but when McLaren said, no, the like Jesus talked about this reality rupturing into the world right now. God is on a, a, a project of reconciliation. Uh, that book, I mean, by the time I was done, I was like, I want to be a part of this project. I, right. I want to get on board this bandwagon. It's so exciting. Uh, it kind of gave me like something to live for. You're part of this love movement. You're part of this reconciliation project of a God who loves everything in the cosmos. Um yeah, and what and what a difference from what you had grown up in. Exactly, exactly. Right. So you know, reading books like the Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey, I'm like, yes, that's I, me too, Philip. And uh, <laughs> Compassion by Henry Nouwen, where it's just like radically being hospitality, giving yourself to the other. I started to really uh, the whole kind of ignored teachings of Jesus for 15 years of my upbringing wow. were brought to light. And so, long story short, you know, I I kind of ended up in seminary. Um, Josh, the pastor in Korea, was very instrumental in saying, I think you should consider being a pastor. You're really interested in this stuff. You're a bit of a keener. Um, and I didn't have a denominational home, so I right. went to Tyndale here in Toronto. I'm from Ottawa. We moved to Toronto, my wife and I, to go to Tyndale. Because, you know, some people say, go to McMaster. And it's like, oh, that's Baptist. I'm wary of that. Or go to Wycliffe. Oh, that's Anglican. I don't know. I, I just, I, I didn't want to go to a school that was kind of branded by a denomination. Right. Yep. In I'm retrospect, sure. I don't think I would have been indoctrinated, but it was right. just this, this kind of mindset where I said, I've been really burned by a denomination. Right. I don't want to become one, like a brainwashed robot. So Tyndale was really good for me where even just in terms of, um, being in recovery from Pentecostals, like I, I had to meet some really good Pentecostals in Tyndale to say, okay, so you're not all, right, you know, the D word. You're not all terrible people. There's right. like, so Pentecostals, Anglicans, uh, you name it, they're there. Yeah. They were my profs. They were part of the community. And so I got to really explore. Um, so I've landed in kind of the Anabaptisty camp. I, I was a pastor at the Meeting House for three years. On my graduation day, I didn't have a job yet. And I was giving the the speech at the grad event, you know, about 1,500 people in the room. And I use that, of course, to say, as I look for <laughs> a place, you know, you can't waste an opportunity like hey, that. And sure enough, for your supper sometimes. Well, yeah, exactly. Was, you know, I gave, a, a I, gave a, I gave a good talk, but I also slipped it in there that I'm unemployed and looking. Right. And Tim Day from the meeting house kind of came, <laughs> pushed his way through the crowd after uh, and just said, we need to talk. And I said, yeah, sure. So... I came on, on board with the meeting as I hadn't oh, really explored awesome. Anabaptism, didn't really know what it meant. It was mentioned like twice briefly in seminary, which I think is a bit of a tragedy because having right. explored living simply the peace ethic of Jesus, mm -hmm. I feel like I was an Anabaptist in the sense of really taking the teachings of Jesus. And I don't want to say taking them seriously like other people don't, but really trying to live by an ethic. Mm -hmm. Again, not to be saved, but just... To say, I think Jesus wants to change the world 
this way mm-hmm. through people who are doing what mm-hmm. he taught. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that might be a thing. And uh, so the Anabaptist family really wrestles with, you know, love your enemy and, uh, and living peacefully and living simply. And, and that, I, I really love that. that. That appeals to me. So that is kind of my faith story. No, that's fascinating. In a nutshell. I didn't know. I didn't know that you had had gone through that, and uh, what a what that's a lot of twists and turns to get where you yeah. are now. So, <laughs> you're you're at the meeting house, and at that point, where you I, like I know you kind of did the church plant this wiki god two year process thing. Is that so? Is that sort of part of the journey? You were at the meeting house and sensing that perhaps you would you would want to plant. Is that? Yeah, I, was at the I, I mean, house. I don't mean to compl- like to try to simplify a more complicated uh, time. I'm sure. <laughs> well, no, it is kind of that simple. I I, I loved the people there. I, I was a site pastor, launched a site. One thing I didn't know about myself that I've just discovered in the last year was that I'm I'm kind of wired in that entrepreneurial kind of way. Right. You never hear that in seminary. That's not a word that comes up. You right. hear leader. So. You know, Mark, you're a leader. You're a le- leadership. Right. I won leadership awards. Oh, what a leader. I was on student council president, leader, leader. You hear that all the time. So you right. start to say, okay, I, I'm a leader. And then, you know, when you're at the meeting house, for example, like their their leadership development is incredible. And so I was just very affirmed that I'm a leader. But after about two years, when the site launch stuff went into more of a pastoral maintenance mode, get the volunteers in place mm-hmm. and Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in that model, you're not teaching. Uh, the The teaching is on the screen. Um, so just for me, pl- many of my Meeting House lead pastor colleagues loved what they were doing. Right. It was a good They're, fit like, for them. They, yeah. And I started to realize I'm actually kind of occupying somebody else's chair. I just assume maybe all of us lead pastors felt a little bummed. Mm-hmm. about stuff and then i but i discovered like no a lot of them just love it's exactly their wiring right and so i went to tim day after two years and sat in his office and said i just kind of i don't think i can do this anymore and i thought he'd be furious and cast me out and he just like kind of smiled and said yeah okay so let's go downstairs literally the meeting house is so large that the denomination is in the meeting house <laughs> building so go downstairs <laughs> and talk to the denomination about uh, the network. It's kind of like the church planty R&D wing of the denomination. Mm-hmm. So I went downstairs and made a set a meeting with Daryl Winger and the head of the network. And uh, I had no idea, though, what I kind of wanted to do. I said, I, I'm feeling this call to do something else. Uh, here's yeah, you just, kind of, you just here's weren't my, sure exactly what it yeah, was. Here's mm-hmm. my strengths finder. So they said, well, come up with a project. Pitch us something and we'll see. So I always wanted... A podcast. I always thought it would be amazing. And I did repeated searches for quite a while. A podcast in Toronto of Torontonian leaders. Right. What are they doing? What is the mosaic of the church in Toronto? It didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, can I start the podcast that I always wished existed? And and I said, I think it'll be a church plant thing. I'll, I'll you know, get people to know me through the interviews and I'll invite, I'll, you know, one day I'll just say, we're doing it. We're starting a thing in my living room and people will come and that'll be really cool. Um, but there was a a bit of a change that I didn't expect. And it's all documented. If you listen to the two years, you'll hear how many ideas I had and was sure that I was going to execute. 
Yeah, and you then know actually what I really appreciate about, about your podcast was that you were very authentic in that yeah. journey. I mean, I haven't listened to them all, but I've listened to a number of them. And yeah, it, it definitely felt like you were on an experiment uh, as you were kind of working that through and understanding. Really, you're discerning the call that you, that you ha- that God had on your life and, and doing it in a really public and vulnerable way. And mm. it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting listen, that's for sure, because I think a lot of us process things in different ways. I'm definitely a verbal processor, so. <laughs> So I, I really appreciated your vulnerability. Yeah, and I think that's the word for it. You know, some people might say, aren't you embarrassed at all the things you didn't do? Um, but for me, I'm not an external processor, like in a conversation with a group. I won't say anything until I really think about it. So mm-hmm. every episode was really thought out, and uh, and, and and I would talk about it. Um, but I just kept feeling like, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. And I couldn't right. even really explain it because I knew I could say, I had people saying, when are you starting your thing? We want to come to your house and sit in your living room. So I knew that that would be kind of a, quote, successful model. But I had to start asking, what is that little kind of no I'm feeling? Why does it feel a bit disingenuous? And so mm. um, I was I was very authentic, like you said, and saying, here's what I want to do and here's what would be great. But still feeling, I listened to that niggling feeling of like, if it really does grow and become a thing, I think I'll be where I was after two years in the meeting house, just kind of like, oh, no, get out of my living room, everyone. This was not <laughs> this, <laughs> this was not what I want. <laughs> and that's not fair. So, right. um, again, the, the BIC giving me the space for that two-year experiment, and, and I think it's an asset, just being able to go and interview people doing amazing things. I was so inspired by the ministers and the nonprofit leaders and mm. the artists and uh, everybody trying to be as true to their authentic self and what they felt God was telling them to do. That I think that was helpful as I explored to, to follow that principle for myself. But it's messy. And um, yeah, it, it is messy. <laughs> yeah. So when you're going through that process, you know, and I, and I hear, I mean, entrepreneurship, I mean, I, I can't hide my love for that, but I'm really interested in that world and um, in the starter community and people who are starting new things. For people who are listening and are perhaps going through, you know, a time of discernment, because really, essentially, that's what you were going through. Mm. Do you have mm-hmm. any advice for someone that's finding themselves in that place where they're kind of, you know, they're thinking through some of the ideas, they're feeling some no's, they're feeling some hesitations. Do you have any advice for someone that's going through a season like that? Uh, um, yeah, not not being used to uh, being on this side of the interview table, so to speak. I, I haven't been quite faced with that question, but kind of shooting from the hip, I would say, don't... Um, don't do what you think other people just want you to do. Mm -hmm. Like, so I knew, you know, that when you're walking around with this label of church planter, there's a certain expectation. When are you getting people in your living room? Uh, That whole kind of sustainable, when are you going to become a sustainable um, community? Somebody who can support itself, you know, a a critical mass that I knew the expectations of people. Mark, you're you're really still just churning out podcast episodes? Like, where are the people? Where's the return on investment? Again, it was never heavy-handed or anything, but maybe that was more me than... But this stuff was mentioned. And and if I had just kind of caved to that, I I wouldn't be able to do... I wouldn't be in the pocket that I think God has me in Hmm. right now. Um, So, you know, I would say whether that was my 
sense of shouldness. My wife is a marriage and family therapist, and she says, stop shoulding all over yourself. And I love that. That's such a helpful boundary sure for is. anybody. Yes. But a lot of the time we feel like I should be doing this by now or, you know, so-and-so thinks I should be up to here or doing mm-hmm. this. And uh, just stop shooting all over yourself and, uh, and, and trust that there's a process happening. Hmm. And uh, so I kind of oh, had great. to do that. All right, so that was Mark Grollo talking about his faith journey. Um, uh, totally fascinating story of, and it just it made me think about the importance of of paying attention to people around us. I love that story of the of of the the pastor that he met overseas that uh, uh, helped feed him, uh, mm-hmm. met him where he was, uh, entered into those spaces and made a connection to Mark and it made all the difference in the world. And what else is kind of interesting, L, is, is the way as, as, as the story started to pivot at the end and, and we'll get to, we'll finish this story in another episode, uh, where he gets around to actually planting a church. And that's kind of why we had Mark on the, on the episode in the first place. But, um, what I found fascinating is the role that events, and and books and the thinking of other Christians and and having key conversations with other uh, Christians, folks like Rick Tobias and 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 the the way that that um, impacted how Mark lived and and the direction of his life. And I know that events actually have played a pretty significant role in your transformation, right, Al? Yeah, for me, um, going through kind of that time where it really was a time of deconstruction in my own faith and trying to reconcile what I, after kind of going through Bible college, I know we've talked a little bit about that, but just feeling this disconnect from what I was seeing in the church at the time to what I was learning in school and then wondering, is there anyone else that's wrestling through these questions? Um, I That's kind of when I connected with Jordan Cooper and the Resonate group. We've had him on, on a podcast in the past. And I went to these greenhouse events and met a whole cascade of characters that were asking the same questions that I was from the same heart um, in the sense that they weren't looking to abandon the church. They weren't looking to abandon their faith. They were looking to actually build something. They were actually looking to be the answer to some of the questions that they were wrestling through. So going to those events... um, really cultivated a desire in me to learn things that were outside of my own perspective or the ways that I had been taught or um, the things that I had known to be true. It was challenging in a positive way. So the Epiphania guys, when their events came out, I think one was called The Powers. Um, yeah, they, Amidst the Powers. I was at that one. Yeah, that was a great one. Were How you there they, too? Yeah, yeah, I was at that event. Oh. Who was it? Was it Brueggemann that came and spoke? No, or, Walter or, Wink. Well, that's what it was. Yeah, 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 Marva Dawn. Yeah, it was so good. And I, I just, again, like, you're just being collided with all of these ideas from people who are um, thinking different things, but also thinking similar things. And it just, they inspire, they challenge, they provoke in all of the best ways. So those events were really um, forming to me because it helped me not to feel alone in the things that I was going through. And it, I think God uses those events. They, 
um, and books and things that kind of challenge and, and um, inspire us to think different thoughts and to ask different questions. So I was really grateful for the epiphany. I still am grateful for those guys, but I'm grateful that they put those conferences together because so often you have to go to the States, not to pick on our American friends, but you often have to get in a plane or drive for a long time to go to these conferences. So to have these events and these conversations happening, you know, within an hour's drive of where I live was really important to me. And they were pivotal. They they shaped me and I'm really grateful for all of those events. They were good ones, like the eighth letter, like they were all. Oh yeah. Just, yeah. I remember you presented at that one. Uh, yeah, it was good times. It was good times. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that it's important I loved hearing that part of Mark's story because it's something that we are recognizing that there is a need for here uh, through the New Leaf Network. And we're desiring in the next year to put on some more events and give people opportunities to come together and connect and be challenged, be inspired. um, And in some cases, maybe evoke some new and great things in their lives. So I'm excited about that. And we have a new event uh, coming up that I hope you're prepared to talk about. Uh, it's happening the Friday of the May long weekend in 2017. This so is true. people will have plenty of time to hear about it. So tell us a little bit about what that event is and, and what you hope uh, might come of it. Sure. So one of our very first podcast episodes, Jared and I are actually blathering on about having a conference, a women's conference that men would actually attend. And it kind of was the the stoking of a fire to say, could we have an event that would focus on the idea of women in leadership and how we actually empower and encourage um, and maybe change in some ways, maybe some of the systems and structures that have existed um, that have made it difficult for women to um, get involved in a more leadership kind of perspective you know, opportunity uh, in the church. And it's not, uh, it's not an argument. You know, we've said it before here many times, you're either convinced or you aren't. And that's a great line of yours, Jared. So it's actually not, and we're not going to argue or debate or pour over scripture. Um, We feel like a lot of people have done great work on that already. And we don't have to. (laughs) Rather, we want to talk about how do we move the ball forward? And how do we um, encourage, empower and inspire women in church leadership areas and also women who uh, would desire to plant churches. And so we have uh, author Sarah Bessie coming, who a lot of our podcast listeners would know. She's a wonderful writer and a Canadian. Uh, We have a few uh, asks out to some professors um, that are here in Canada that are are thinking about this and talking about it. And essentially, we just want to bring people together to inspire, to challenge, to uh, create connection. But this conference is focusing on women's issues, if you will, but it is actually designed with men in mind as well. So uh, we're looking forward to it. We'll have a name and some more language around it. The working group is hard at work. Um, but I think it's an important, seems to be a hot button topic for our newly friends. It, it really talk. is. Yeah, it inspires yeah. conversation. They want to talk. Men want to be allies, which is so amazing. They want to see women rise up. Um, and it's not just rising up in the sense of, um, you know, there's lots of ways you can be affirmed. And there's lots of Christian groups in Canada that are trying to um, empower women. But we're actually talking about women in ministry in ministry areas and leadership in the church and church planting and pastoring and how do we... Um, affect change in that area. And so I'm really excited about it. I'm glad to see it all coming together. And I would love for our New Leaf listeners to put that date on the calendar and come on out to the event. 
Yeah, my my dream, L, my hope is that in five years time, we're going to meet somebody, a, a woman, I hope, who stepped out and planted a church because of, of something that happened at that conference. If, if we want to see new uh, planters emerge from the Canadian context, this is actually one of the places that they come from. It's, it's part of Mark's story. It's a part of your story. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I hope it's part of someone else's story. And uh, so I'm really excited about that. So if you want to uh, join us, it'll be on our events page uh, eventually once we have a name. But we know the date. We know Sarah Bessie is going to be there and it's going to be a great event. So it's going to be the, the Friday of the May long weekend. So you can just come and join us uh, for a little bit and then you can pack up your tent and you can go to a provincial park if you want that whole weekend. We won't, we won't get in your way. We designed we'll it. be inspired. We designed it with campers in mind, really, is that you come for the day on Friday and then you take your gear and you enjoy the outdoors. That's awesome, Elle. Thanks a lot. And uh, we'll talk to you soon in our upcoming episode uh, where we, we complete the rest of this Mark Grolo story. So thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks for listening. And we'll see, well, not see, but you'll hear us soon. Bye-bye. Bye, friends. Thanks for listening to the New Leaf Podcast. You can find us on the web at newleafnetwork.ca or head on over to our Facebook page, New Leaf Network. We have events, workshops, and conversations happening all the time. We would love if you could join us as we share the stories of planters and stars all across Canada.